If you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 39. We'll pick up where we left off last week. And we're still looking at the life of Joseph. Thank you for standing as we open the Word of God together. Looking at the life of Joseph, talking about the importance of having a reason to dream. I want to look at this chapter that because it deals with when we give up the, the foolish fantasies of this life because God's got something bigger and better, a better dream for us than the fleeting fantasies of this world. Joseph learned that. Joseph demonstrated that he believed that. So if you found your place, Genesis 39, I'm reading from verse 1. It says, Joseph had been taken to Egypt. You remember the story? We saw it in 37 when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. It says, an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Now, the author's going to make sure we don't overlook that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. You see it again and again. So make note of that. And he was serving in the household of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor in his master's sight and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From time to time, he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built, handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph, and she said, sleep with me. Some passages say, come lie with me. You get the drift, and we're going to see how he responded to that as we read this chapter. Father, we ask you this morning to give us hearts that trust in you, Give us wisdom to live by your plan, your authority, and with an awareness of your presence in our lives so that we would say no matter what comes our way, we will not compromise our integrity. We will not compromise our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. A life of no compromise. I believe can only be lived when we're aware of the hand of God and the presence of God in and on our lives. Now, when we read the story of Joseph, as we saw last week, it kind of has its ups and downs. Now, I remember being in um, uh, literature classes, and maybe Miss Freeman can correct me if I'm wrong, but we learned something called the denouement, the, the fact that at the end of the story, all the facts, uh, you know, after you kind of reach the climax of the story, all the facts are drawn together, and now everything kind of makes sense. And so you expect the story to kind of move toward that and then kind of level off after that. And then most of the time, that comes to a conclusion, and if you're, you know, a fan of the Hallmark Movie Channel, everybody lived happily ever after every time, Right? And, and so you expect life to be that way if you're not careful, that you have your trial, you're down in the valley, you have your crisis, you have your problem, but then things pick up and then everything the day you might, everything comes together and makes 
sense. The only problem with that is if you look at the life of Joseph, and quite honestly, if you look at my life and your life, you realize that life is not like classical literature. It's more like a roller coaster, right? I mean, we have our ups, we have our downs, and some of you are like, I've been going on the downside for a long time, or I've, I'm in a dark tunnel at the bottom of the hill of this roller coaster, and I don't know if we're ever going to have an upside to this. And certainly, Joseph probably thought that for every step forward he was taking, there were two steps back, and things weren't coming together. Things weren't leveling off. Now, obviously, at the end of Genesis, we'll see that come together, but each story in itself concerning the life of Joseph seems to have its ups and downs, and it don't always seem to end on and upside. And yet he still doesn't lose his faith in God. He doesn't lose his integrity. When you read in, in chapter 90 of the book of Psalms, now we, a lot of us like to skip the Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is my wife's favorite psalm. But in chapter 90 in verse 10, it says, our lives last, what, 70 years? Or if we are strong, maybe 80 years. He's speaking on averages here. People live 70, 80 years, he says, and even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. He says, life is just full of sorrow and struggle. And then you say, well, then how am I supposed to say that the best is yet to come? How am I supposed to enjoy the journey and enjoy this life and live it for the glory of God and experience abundant life? The psalmist answers that in Psalm 91 when he says, The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with his feathers and you will take refuge under his wings. His faithfulness will be a protective shield. In other words, nothing can happen to you without God's permission. God is a sovereign God. And yet God has sovereignly, meaning he's in control of it all, he has sovereignly allowed us to choose whether or not we're going to cooperate with his sovereign plan. And so we have a choice in the matter to walk with him and be aware of his presence and be aware of his hand on our life or to reject his hand and his blessing and his protection on our life. In fact, Psalm 32 and verse 9 says, Don't be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. He says, don't be stubborn. Go ahead and cooperate with the purpose and plan of God. And that's what we see Joseph doing. Jesus wanted the Jews to cooperate when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you like a mother hen would gather her chicks. But he says, you were unwilling. As he wept over Jerusalem, he saw that it was important that they would be willing to cooperate with his plan. The temptation for us is to not cooperate and instead compromise, to live a life of compromise. To say, hey, I'm with God when things are good, but when I'm tested, when I'm tempted, well, after all, we're only mere mortals. We've got to give in. What happens when we live with an awareness of the hand of God on our life. When we truly 
spend time with him and we spend time in his word, we spend time with his people, and we say, you know, I don't know where I'm on, whether I'm on the upside or the downside. I don't know how long the down is going to last. I don't know how long the darkness is going to last. But I know that I've taken Jesus by the hand and I'm going to walk through whatever life throws at me. I'm going to walk through it hand in hand with Jesus, aware of his hand in me and his hand on me, no matter what comes my way. When we do that, when we live with that kind of awareness, some things will begin to happen as they happen in the life of Joseph. First of all, you see that God will provide you with influence. God will provide you with influence. You are in this world to give God glory, and we begin to influence others by the way we glorify God. We see his hand of providence. You were introduced to that word last week. But we see his hand of providence in the life of Joseph in verse 1. He's taken to Egypt, part of God's plan. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. This was all part of God putting Joseph where he wanted him. And as a result, you see that the Lord was with Joseph. And Joseph was aware of God's hand on his life. And he became a successful Man, even as a slave of Potiphar in Egypt, he was successful toward what God had called him to prosper in, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, verse 3, and he made everything successful, so God's hand was so on Joseph that a pagan slave owner named Potiphar knew that God had his hand on Joseph. He was aware of that. Can people see that God's hand is on you? Now, I want you to see that Joseph did not make Potiphar out to be his enemy, but he served him and served him well so that he became a blessing even to Potiphar. It says that he found favor in his master's sight in verse 4. Now, I know that we need the favor of God. We need the grace of God on our lives. But the Bible says in Luke 9, or excuse me, Luke 2.52 that Jesus, as a boy, grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God, spiritual growth, and it says, and in favor with man. He grew socially. He earned the favor of others. And so many times we can use the cliche, which is, absolutely nothing wrong with the statement that all I need to do is please God and everything else will take care of itself. And we forget that in our pleasing God, God wants us to earn the favor of those we've been called to minister to, to to be ladies and gentlemen of God who make a difference and become a blessing to this world. We see this repeated in every situation because he's going to find himself in prison at the end of the chapter and and he is still experiencing the blessings of God and still finding favor with those who are around him. In verses 5 and 6, we read just a moment ago, he, he earns trust so that Potiphar trusts him with his belongings and says, you know what, this servant that I have, he, he's, he's pretty shrewd. And he's a man of integrity, so I trust him. He earned trust, and he gave him authority in his household. This awareness of God's hand for Joseph meant that from pit to palace to prison, he knew that it was all under God's providence. He knew that it was for whatever time that God had 
predetermined. He knew that it was for God's glory, and he knew he was there in God's keeping. And so no matter where you are in life or what has come at you today, you can understand that God has you there for a reason, to give him glory, to give you influence in that situation so that your testimony may cause you to shine like a star in the midst of the darkness that surrounds you. And some of you have to admit that life has thrown some curveballs at you lately, right? You, you know, I, I feel like somebody was watching as the, the, the Braves, you know, we had to flip over there, right, win a division. That doesn't happen often as it used to. So, so I'm watching a little bit as these batters adjust and to these different pitchers, and, and I thought, man, that's just like life. A, a pitcher gets up there, and, and he throws a, a fastball that you can't catch up to. And then he comes with one just a little bit faster, and you can't catch up to that one. And about the time a batter thinks, okay, I'm going to catch up to this next one, it's a change-up. It's a slow curve. And he's way out ahead of it, and he's like, man, just about the time I thought I was going to catch up to it, it it was a change-up. Now, a lot of you are thinking baseball right now, but think about life for a moment. Isn't it the same way? You're like, man, I just can't catch up to everything. Everything life is throwing at me is catching me off guard. I just can't catch up. And just about the time I think I'm ready, I've just about caught up. Life throws me a curveball. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't see that problem coming. I didn't see that test coming. I didn't see that temptation coming. What do we do in those moments? What do we do when we find our place and we find ourselves in that difficult situation? The Apostle Paul told the church at Colossae, in whatever situation you find yourself in, you're to do all things heartily as unto the Lord and not to man. Remember, in that situation, you're to, to serve the Lord. It says, from the Lord you will receive a reward when you live your life for his glory in that situation. Now, you go back and read earlier in Colossians chapter 3, he's talking about different situations, marriage, Children toward their parents and parents toward their children and even slaves toward their masters. He's saying whatever relational situation you find yourself in, do all things heartily, passionately as unto the Lord. That's what Joseph was doing. God was giving Joseph a place of influence as a slave. And I think the world needs to see disciples who will stop complaining about their circumstances and ask God, why have you got me here? What is my context? What is my family situation? What is my work, my job situation right now? It may not be favorable toward me, but God, you've got me here to have a a position, a place of influence, even if I don't like what I'm going through. If if, If you did not get that teacher that you wanted at school, you've got to take that class that you have no business being in as far as your concern. Whatever your circumstances are, You're there in God's keeping, for God's timing, for God's glory to have an influence for his kingdom. God will provide you with an influence in those situations. And so he gave Joseph influence. Secondly, God will preserve your integrity. When you're cooperating with him, when you're walking hand in hand with him, obeying him, God will preserve your integrity. Integrity 
is what aided his influence, gave him trust with Potiphar, but that's also where the enemy attacked. Remember the integrity in the life of Daniel, that all of Daniel's accusers said, listen, we're not going to find anything wrong with Daniel unless, unless it has to do with his God and his obedience to his God being in violation to the laws of the land. So let's make the laws of the land contrary to the laws of God, and we are sure that then Daniel will obey the laws of God and he will violate the laws of the land because he's a man of integrity. He's going to obey God in every situation. Joseph was much like Daniel. When you look at verse 7, it says, After some time his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph. And she threw out that seduction, that temptation, come and sleep with me. Now, when you see the little phrase leading into verse 7, it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Reminds me, we need, to, we need to pray for our young people. We need to pray for our young people. I mean, let's just face it. A, a lot of our children are cursed with good looks. <laughs> and, and we're so proud, man. We, we, we've got good-looking kids. And, man, they... they uh, they're so beautiful when we get their school pictures back and, and we can post their pictures on Facebook and everything else. But, but listen, and listen, we've done the same thing, pictures of my kids growing up. We've been blessed with beautiful kids, but do you realize that the enemy, the devil himself, also knows they're beautiful kids and he's going to send temptation their way because they've been, we're like, man, it's so wonderful. that I've got a beautiful daughter. I've got a handsome son. But that Beauty and those good looks can also bring about so much temptation. That's why the Bible says, flee youthful lusts. Sometime his master's wife looked longingly on him. What did he do in verse 8? He refused and he said to his master's wife, look, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am, and he has held nothing from me except you. Potiphar had said, Joseph, anything in my house, it's yours. Mi casa su casa, right? He says, but don't touch my wife. Because you are his wife, he says. You, so how could I do such great evil and sin? Notice that he doesn't say against Potiphar here. He says, how could I do this sin against God? He knew that even if nobody else found out, even if Potiphar himself didn't find out, that he would sin against God if he was involved in this adulterous relationship. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, verse 10 says, he refused to go to bed with her. And one day he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me, but leaving his garment in, his, in her hand, he escaped and he ran outside. He left, he fled, he ran. He did, 2 Timothy 2.22, he didn't stay and argue with her. Now, there are times in life where we need to stand our ground. There are certain issues that Christians need to take a stand on, resist the devil, and know that he will flee from us. But when it comes to the area of sensual temptation, the Bible doesn't say stand your ground. It says run. Run from sensual temptation. And so he left. He saturated that place with his absence and got as far away as he could at that moment. 
See, the devil knows when the strength of our life is our integrity, what bait he can use to pull us away. In, you know, he, that's, that's what James is talking about. James chapter 1, when he says, let no man say when he is tempted, he's tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, when he is lured or drawn away by his own desires, and he's enticed. That, that word for drawn or lure away is like the, the word where we would uh, speak of a fishing lure, something that is bait on a hook. Have you ever been fishing and, and you pull, you, you're like, I wonder why I'm not catching anything. And when you, when you reel it in, you realize that the bait's already off your hook. You're like, well, no wonder I hadn't caught anything. It's just a shiny hook. And so whether it's uh, a, a worm or chicken liver or whatever you're fishing with, you rebait the hook, right? Because you're like, I don't expect to catch anything without some bait. Unless it's a really dumb fish. And the devil himself, he knows that you're not going to go for his hooks. He knows that when he says, listen, um, come here, I'm enticing you because I want to destroy your life. That we don't say, oh, great, I want my life destroyed. When he says, listen, I want you to be trapped in sinful bondage. That we don't say, man, that sounds like a good place to hang out. Sinful bondage. I want to wreck your family. I want to wreck your home. Isn't that enticing? No, the hook is not enticing. So he uses bait. In this case, it was sensual temptation. It was Potiphar's wife. It was temptation to have an affair here, to to be involved in the sin of adultery. But there was a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape. And I believe that if you're a born-again Christian and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, the Holy Spirit will show you that way of escape. That does not mean you will choose the way of escape. We need to be walking in the Spirit. Why do we need to be walking in the Spirit? Because Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says the flesh wars against the Spirit. Remember, there's a battle there. The, The flesh wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, so that the two are contrary with one another. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will not... Double negative there, it means uh, absolute, we will not at the same time be walking in the Spirit and fulfill the desires of the flesh. We have to make a choice, no Lord, I choose to walk in the flesh rather than in the Spirit and not take the way of escape. Back to James 1, he says when that sin has conceived, it gives birth. When temptation is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin is full grown, it leads to death. What do we do? We do what Joseph did. He recognized that the temptation is certain. He refused to compromise with that temptation. And when he found himself in the clutches of temptation, what did he do? He ran. He ran. He fled from youthful lust. That means some of you need to get out of the situation that you're in because there's too much temptation in that situation. And so you need to run from the clutches, whatever that temptation. Hebrews says, we're to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. So whatever that sin is, whatever that temptation is that so easily entangles you, run from that temptation. Do like Joseph and saturate that place with your absence. God will preserve your integrity, but what about your innocence? What about when people make false accusations? What about those moments that you can't control? Finally, I want you to see this morning that God will protect your innocence. 
you've got to leave that in God's hands. God will protect your innocence. And trust in his providence continually. When she realized, verse 13, that she had left his gar- he had left his garment with her and that he had run outside, she called the household servants. Look, she said, my husband brought a Hebrew man. You know, just a moment ago, she was speaking seductive words. And now she's saying, that Hebrew man, as if it's a derogatory term, to make fun of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. And when he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. A bold lie. And she put Joseph's garment beside her until his master came home. And then she told him the same story. The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make fun of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and he ran outside. And when his master heard the story, his wife had told him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison, and we're all thinking, that's not fair. Where was God in all of this? I think it's even God's providence that spared Joseph's life because Potiphar could have had him killed. Some have even suggested that Potiphar knew what kind of woman he was married to. And the very fact that he didn't have Joseph killed was because he knew what she was up to, and he couldn't wear the embarrassment of his wife being a seductress, so he had to do something, but he didn't want to have Joseph killed, so he had him put in jail. I don't know. We would have to read between the lines there, but God sovereignly spared Joseph's life at this moment for his purposes again. False accusations. Look at Psalm 109. We read the Psalms earlier, right? 90 tells us that life is full of struggle and and sorrow, and then we die. Psalm 91, but we can live under the protection, the shadow of the Almighty. What about when false accusers enter our life? Because they will, and they did in the life of Joseph, they did in the life of David, and they will in your life from time to time. He says, God of my praise, do not be silent. For wicked and deceitful mouths open against me. They speak against me with lying tongues. They surround me with hateful words and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I continue to pray. And that was the key. In fact, the rest of the psalm is a prayer, sometimes an imprecatory prayer, like God. You handle my enemy, right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. God, you handle them, you repay. But the psalmist ultimately had to trust, God, you're going to protect my innocence. You can prove my innocence in your own time, in your own way. But he could do nothing else in the moment but give it to God. And some of you are in that place of life right now. That's where you're at on this journey. It's where you can't do anything else but just give it to God. And today, you need to say, God, this is bigger than me, and I trust you with it. He can protect you and your intimates in that moment. As an innocent man, he faced injustice with a positive attitude. The Lord, look, verse 21, it didn't quit, did it? The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
It's as if if you're going to be in Potiphar's house as a slave, then you're going to be a missionary there. But if you're going to be in prison, you're going to be a missionary there. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. So now he's the trustee of the prison as a prisoner. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. God kept his hand on him, kept giving him favor, protected his innocence. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority. Again, he didn't say, well, this is unjust. This is ungodly, so I can't put my blessings on this. He was going to be a blessing even to those we would call enemies. And the Lord made everything. That's the providence of God. It's all a God thing. But he was cooperating with God. He was refusing to compromise. He was aware of God's presence in his life and aware of the hand of God on his life. And the Lord God made everything that he did successful. Can't help but think of people like Corey Ten Boone who was in a Nazi prison camp because she had defended the lives of innocent Jews. She was suffering what seemed to be their plight infested with lice and vermin and things that I won't even mention. She went through all that and said, you know what, while I'm in this prison camp, I'll start a Bible study. While I'm seeing the smoke of burning bodies go into the air, I'll lead a Bible study to help people be prepared for eternity. And so she became a missionary in that context, and God used her story to change countless thousands of lives around the world. Where are you at today that you would say, God, this isn't fair. I don't deserve this. Maybe even for standing up for righteousness. Remember the last of the Beatitudes? Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we look at the face of Christ this morning, we would all have to admit, no matter how low I've been, I've never had to carry the sins of the world He was led as a sheep to the slaughter without opening his mouth. And with the love that he loved us with, he told us to love this world and endure whatever it threw at us for his glory. I don't know all of your problems. You don't know all of mine. But I know we didn't have to carry the sins of this world We've never had to do that. Jesus did. And he didn't complain about it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame. It's that same Jesus who lives in us, giving us the ability and the power to endure whatever we're going through in life. Would you bow your heads with me?